Hi there, and welcome to another Oslo podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. The stresses of workload, training, educational expenses, and exams continue to mount on junior doctors, and the consequences can be dire. The COVID-19 pandemic has unmasked just how tough it is to be a junior doctor. But if there is a silver lining, it's that attention is finally being paid to this problem. Tani Bridson is a stage two psychiatry registrar. A witness to the strain on her colleagues early in the pandemic, Tani founded the Hand in Hand Peer Support Group, a mission which saw her awarded the Jeff Sheverton Award at the Queensland Mental Health Week and the 2022 Queensland Young Australian of the Year. Tani, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Tani, you founded Hand in Hand to um, support junior doctors' welfare during the pandemic. What was the inspiration for the program? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's probably been written a few times now um, over the last few weeks, but um, I, well, there were a few instigators. I guess when I was in medical school, I um, was at James Cook um, up in far north Queensland and came from this really tiny town. And um, one of my mentors and family's GP um, actually ended their life by suicide when I was a fifth year med student. Um, and that was kind of like the first I'd ever even heard of or thought of like doctors or healthcare workers, mental health. I guess it hadn't really ever been something on the agenda or even raised in medical school as like a thing. Um, and then like during my own or during my final year of med school exams as well, I also was like super stressed and um, had quite a hard time like getting through not so much like academically but it was just a really hard slog to get through from like a kind of mental health point of view um, and again it was just I don't know there was just no real sense that um, you had support or you kind of felt really isolated with it and I, I don't know whether other people I mean I didn't graduate all that long ago <laughs> But I don't know whether other people at universities who sort of graduated the same time as me had similar feelings and whether things are changing now. But, yeah, it was just really sad that you kind of felt so isolated and you felt like you didn't really have anyone to turn to. Um, and so I went from thinking that um, I was going to do a PhD and qualify in infectious diseases, thought I was going to do some niche specialty or immunology. Um, and I sort of changed track and ended up going down the psychiatry field. And at the same time, I moved up to Cairns for my um, junior doctor years and um, also sort of took on some of the role of like wellbeing officer and things. Um, and we started sort of promoting or, um, you know, creating more awareness about mental health and physical health in, in doctors and medical students. And then, yeah, when COVID sort of reared its head, um, I think we were seeing the really difficult images that were coming from overseas. And I phoned a friend and, you know, said we should really do something to support our colleagues you know, we obviously have all seen like the Beyond Blue data and, you know, we, we know it's a problem or we know it's a problem now. But, um, yeah, there was sort of 
it just felt like there was no action. You know, we were gaining awareness, but we weren't really doing anything to curb the problem. And I remember my colleague said to me, um, well, surely there's something out there. Like people have seen COVID overseas for the last few months. There has to be something, or there at least has to be something that's existed in the past. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's obviously the doctor's health services, but in terms of like just providing a kind of peer-to-peer support-based service, there was nothing in that kind of preclinical space, which was, you know, something we felt was really important for a kind of preventive tool as well to actually get to people early before they kind of tumble off, off the cliff. Tani, what are the what are the issues that seem to contribute to this? So I think we're becoming more aware that junior doctors and medical students do struggle. Um, what are some of the things that they struggle with? Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like there's lots of different issues. And the other thing is too, I think sometimes we forget that it's not just junior doctors and medical students, it's also senior doctors as well. Um, and senior doctors have it from a different um, perspective in that, you know, if you're the top of your field, who do you go to for support kind of thing, um, which is what I've heard people say from that point of view. Um and I don't know, I don't think there's like one specific issue. I think we talk about like bullying and discrimination and this kind of fear-based learning concept quite a bit, which I think has quite a big impact on people's well-being. And even when I was at medical school, there was still so many like of the consultants or supervisors who would, you know, still have this approach where they would like pick people out of the crowd and you know, sort of target them and then make fun of them if they didn't get something right. So I think it starts early on in our kind of careers or journeys, that sort of fear and the, you know, sort of constantly being on edge or like anxious or, you know, fear of getting things wrong. Um, And then like, obviously, there's also these ideas that doctors are supposed to be like superhuman or, you know, we're supposed to wear burnout as like a badge of honour. And I think like one of the phrases that's, it's not annoyed me, but it's just like made me think, I think, over the pandemic is this like healthcare healthcare worker hero concept, which again, like I know people have said it and like come up with that phrase to show like respect for healthcare workers. But then again, it kind of just puts that idea in our head that we're supposed to be superhuman and not like reach out for help so I don't know I don't know if there's one clear answer I think there's just like layers and layers of problems and you know at the core of it is like this culture of medicine that's hierarchical and you know discriminatory and there's bullying and there's all these things that are just like intergenerational and kind of need to change but the question is how do we make that happen Andy, tell us about Hand in Hand and how it works. Uh, well, Hand in Hand is a free, confidential peer support service um, and it's completely run by volunteers. So we don't really have any funding. Um, we've got people that sort of volunteer in different areas. Um, but basically, if somebody is wanting peer support, they can sign up. So they can sign up on social media or our website or even just email us if they're not really sure um, how to get to us. 
um, and they just put basic details. We just need like an email or a phone number so that we can contact them. And in there, they can kind of specify what they would like or what they're looking for in peer support. So if it's like they're wanting one-to-one peer support, if they're wanting to be in a group um, and who they might want to be with. So peers can differ, like depending on where you work or who you are. So peers could be, you know, interns if you're an intern or it could be you know people that work in like child and adolescent mental health you know but people from all different backgrounds um so it just depends what sort of like peers that they're looking for um and then once they've signed up they get a phone call from one of our five to six volunteer um, psychiatrists over the next 42 to 78 48 to 72 hours <laughs> can't do math um and um, they will get a basic assessment. So it's just to make sure that anyone that's coming to us isn't like acutely unwell because we are preclinical. So we're not a clinical level or emergency service. So we still need to make sure that everyone coming to us is, you know, not needing that more urgent support. Um, and then once they're triaged, we have another team of volunteers also that then help us put the participants into groups based on their preferences. Um, And so people can also sign up to be um, like the leaders of the peer support groups or to provide peer support as well. Um, And it's the same sort of process. You can sign up on social media or or our website. And again, you just put in like your basic details and, but it's a little bit more um, in depth in that you just have to sort of provide your past experiences and a reference. But if you've got no experience in peer support or, you know, that's also okay. We run like training workshops. So um, anyone can sign up. You can just like sign up to do one of our training workshops. And then if you're comfortable, like start a group. So how does it work? So if somebody comes along and says that they're desperately in need of some support from one of their peers and they, they ask to be put into a group, what sort of happens then? As long as they're, like like I said, as long as they're not clinically unwell and they're, you know, appropriate for it, then we um, look to our database of facilitators um, and we'll then link them in with that person who is deemed appropriate as long as they're happy to take on a participant or they might already have a group and we might say, do you mind if we, can we add a participant to your group? They sound like they'd be a good fit. So we keep in contact with the facilitators who are currently running groups or, you know, even just facilitators that haven't got a group yet, just so that we can get a feel of like who is doing what and what their groups are up to and things. Um, and yeah, once they're, they say that's okay, then we actually link them in. So it can be over email or it can be over WhatsApp. It just kind of depends on like, normally we do it by email. And if they need some help to get the group started or to make some times and things that work, then we can also help facilitate that and give them some background info. And then we kind of just monitor it um, over time and try and check in with them to make sure we know how things are going and, you know, kind of get updates about whether the group is continuing, whether it's more of like an acute thing that they're discussing and, you know, it's just a brief need for peer support Um, And then we also have um, a fortnightly session where those who are providing peer support can come. It's like a drop-in session, so it's not mandatory, but they can come and chat to us, like the team from Hand in Hand, about how their groups are going, 
um, just ask us any questions that they've got. Um, so it's kind of like peer support for the peer supporters. Now, we hear a lot about resilience training in healthcare. Do junior doctors need more training in, in becoming resilient, do you think? <laughs> I feel like it's a really, like, controversial area because I think everyone's got different opinions. Um, but I personally, I mean, I think one of the other things that someone once mentioned to me is that the word resilience has kind of been turned into a bit of a dirty word and it's not the actual meaning of the word or the intended meaning of the original word, but we've kind of turned it into this thing where it's about like, are you tough enough? But that's not what it was intended to mean. Um, so I think a lot of us in like the junior medical field, you know, I don't know what the word is, but feel like resilience training or res being resilient enough isn't isn't the issue and sometimes we I think people feel like it's almost like a way to divert attention from the wider systemic issues in medicine or healthcare. Um, and you know I've even had like a consultant in the past when I've presented like on well-being say well you know junior doctors just aren't resilient enough and I think that kind of like language is well you know, it's kind of, it's a bit outdated, but also it's um, it's kind of derogatory to like our, our whole profession. And it's not just junior doctors that are struggling. I mean, with COVID, everyone is struggling, especially healthcare workers. So yeah, I'm not a fan of the term resilient or resilience training. <laughs> Tani, what sort of feedback are you getting from participants who have gone through hand in hand? Um, we've had really good feedback, actually, and we're sending out, um, you know, obviously we've had sort of like word of mouth feedback or, you know, we've spoken to people who've been through it and, you know, got that kind of feedback or we've had a few groups who've come to us multiple times throughout the pandemic, which is, you know, really nice. Like they found it useful the first time around with COVID and then they've come again and again, like with the crises or the COVID kind of situations um, which has been like really nice to see and to kind of like know how much they're valuing it and finding it useful. And I guess the other one or the other kind of people that we've, you know, I mean, we've had a lot of people who come for shorter periods of peer support, but then we also have groups that have like been going on since the beginning in March, 2020, you know, they've like found it helpful. <laughs> so they've continued. So that's nice. But um yeah, I guess it's been more like um, word of mouth and, you know, us talking to them, seeing how it's been useful. But we are going to send out a survey um, with a few more detailed questions um, over the next coming months just so that we can actually, like, get a bit more in-depth feedback and then also use it to, like, improve what we're doing. Because I guess everything's kind of been on the fly with, you know, the COVID situation, you know, everyone's just been adapting and you know kind of doing things on the run but um now that we've got a few more like volunteers on board and we've got some really interested medical students who are wanting to help out so yeah I mean we're still completely volunteer but we're hoping that maybe we can you know get a few more sort of people to help in various areas 
ideas and look at ways that we can streamline things or improve things as well. And also reach like a larger audience because I think um, we probably haven't like advertised as widely as we could or reached as many people as we could just because we are aware of like the kind of limitations we have being a volunteer organisation. Speaking of, where, where do you see this going, Tani? Is it, um, is it in your plans to expand and grow and offer a, a wider uh, support service? Yeah, I mean, we really do want to expand. And I think we've seen throughout the pandemic as things have changed that peer support, like the need has continued even when the pandemic has improved or things with COVID have changed. And a lot of the things people are asking for support around aren't specifically COVID-based. I mean, yes, there's increased pressures and demands with COVID, and so we do get influxes when there are issues related to COVID. But a lot of the time, the underlying things people are wanting to talk about are like long-standing kind of issues in the workplace or in healthcare. Or um, So, I mean, first of all, we want to continue. Um, and we're sort of I guess trying to find the best way forward in that we can still be completely volunteer to the people coming to us, but also hopefully like get some funding or grants so that we can employ a few people um, so that we can have that wider reach. Because it's really difficult as like a group of full-time healthcare workers <laughs> to also, um, you know, be running this on the side. It's, Yeah in the longer term, I think, so that we can expand. We really need, like, a, a few dedicated staff that can do some of that back-of-house stuff for us. It does sound like an enormous amount of work for somebody who's also working a, a full-time job and studying as well. How on earth do you make it all fit into a 24-hour period, Tani? Uh, there have been some sleepless nights <laughs> and answering emails at, like, some ridiculous hours in the night. Um and it has been, like, really hard. I think all of us that sort of started in this have, we've kept pushing and continuing with it because we, like, realise how important it is. And um, But it has been really, really difficult. Like, it is a challenge. Um, it's a worthwhile challenge, but it, it's a challenge. And I'm not really sure how we got through the last 18 months. I think the good thing is, is that what started as kind of a group of four core people um, also rapidly expanded as people wanted to kind of help their colleagues and stuff. So, yeah, we've relied on, like, the goodwill of our colleagues um, to help us help us get through. But, yeah, I hope that we can get some more funding or some more support so that we can continue and, you know, I don't want my colleagues working in hand-in-hand -hand to burn out. <laughs> I think we're all very aware of it, but... Um, yeah, like it would be good to see us have some more dedicated staff so that we're not sort of working at double time. <laughs> but it's it's worth it. Like it's completely everything we do is is very worthwhile. Danny, what sort of numbers uh, are involved in the platform at the moment? There must be some administrative type staff as well as your support workers and the numbers of uh, people who are currently um, using the service. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we've got five triage psychiatrists who take turns during um, the week 
and then one backup. We've got two volunteer medical students who help with our social media and like answering emails and things. Um, we've got another few medical students who are helping or getting interested in the research, sort of doing some reviews and looking at um, past studies in this area. Um, we have, <laughs> I'm just thinking, we have about 200 or more people who volunteered to be facilitators or to, to actually do peer support. And then in our kind of core team, like of the people that sort of started, we've got the four of us, so myself, Brett, Kim and Kieran. Um, and we've also got four people who run the peer support for the facilitators. So they take turns on a fortnightly basis. I think our core team is about 20 volunteers at the moment. Um, and we've just recently had another, well, we asked for expressions of interest from medical students to help us out next year. And we had 37 applications, <laughs> which was like very nice to see. So we're, we're getting about a, a few more medical students next year. Um, and yeah, in terms of participants, I think we are, it keeps changing, but I think we're well and truly over to 300 at the moment. So we've got a fair number of groups um, going and some of those are repeated as well because we've had a few people come through a few times. Um, but yeah, it's um, we're, we're doing okay number-wise. <laughs> Finally, Tani, if people are interested in either becoming support people or taking advantage of the services that you offer, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, well, um, we have a website, handinhand.org.au, um, which you can just Google. Um, they can join our social media pages, so they can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we also have a private Facebook group where like people can post messages and it's kind of like a big kind of peer support group for healthcare workers. Um, and yeah, I can send all those details through so you can upload them. <laughs> Tani, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and congratulations for the, the recognition that you're getting for an, an amazing uh, service that you're offering to junior doctors and medical students. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for MyOsla wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslacommunity.com.